Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that you speak in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. We're uh, continuing a series, Unlocking the Parables. About a third of Jesus' teachings came in the form of parables. Uh, He said in Matthew 13 that the reason he taught in parables was to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God, even saying that these were secrets that had been hidden since the time of creation. So parables are fascinating. Uh, One of the best ways I've heard them explained is parables are there to reveal and to conceal to those who... uh, who their hearts were receptive to them, who would take the time to explore their meaning. They revealed secrets of the kingdom of God. To those who wouldn't do that, uh, they kept them concealed. So that's part of the reason Jesus spoke in parables. But so far, uh, we've looked at the, the parable of the soils and the parable of the wineskins. And then last week, we went into the parables of the kingdom of God, specifically the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Today, we're looking at what is the most universally well-known parable. There are hospitals named after it, organizations named after it, charities named after it. It's uh, only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, You've probably heard this so many times that you feel like you could just get up and leave and and not miss anything. Uh, I, I never knew there was so much to this parable until this week, and I'm excited to share it with you. But we're just going to uh, dive right in on Luke chapter 30, or chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. It says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went down to him and bandaged his wounds and pouring oil and uh, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now here's where I want to begin this morning as we're kind of exploring this interpretation in the context of this parable. We're going to start with the two most important words in that whole passage, and it's in the very first, loop, uh, very first verse where Jesus said, uh, where it says, in reply. Luke 10:30 begins that way, in reply. What that means is we don't have to overthink this parable to understand its context. This was a specific response to a specific question. So if we're looking to interpret the meaning of this parable, we need to start with that specific question, which took place back in verse 25. It says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's already a lot happening in this passage. First of all, an expert in the law in the Gospel of Luke is never a good thing. It's always a negative connotation when it says it's an expert in the law. 
But it says that this man stood up to address Jesus. And already we have something that, that's kind of behind the scenes. Uh, in their culture, if a, a student stood up to address their rabbi, it was a sign of respect, almost a sign of, of surrendering to their teachings. So we have this expert in the law who is showing publicly respect to Jesus. But then the Bible says he stood up to test him. Now, Luke only uses this word test one other time in all of the Bible and all of his, his gospel. Uh, and it's when Jesus is in the garden and he's being tempted by Satan. And finally, after the third temptation, Jesus looks at Satan and says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So if you're this expert in the law, you've just been placed into a category where your only company is Satan. It's not a great place to be. But what we find is, is this man has kind of this facade of respect, this, this mask of curiosity. But behind it, Jesus sees right through that this is a test. So uh, he asked Jesus, um, what must I do to inherit eternal, eternal life? And Jesus responds in verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's a reference to Leviticus 19.18. So not only is this expert in the law quoting scripture, but in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was asked this same question, he quoted those two passages. So, so uh, Jesus responds to the man, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. No. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I would spend many, many uh, uh, overnights at my, my grandmother's house. I mean, all the time. And when I was a kid, I thought, you know, this is awesome. My grandma wants to spend time with me again. But as an adult, I recognized that mommy and daddy needed lots of breaks. <laughs> but, but we're talking... 25 years ago, I still remember my grandmother's nightly routine. It was dinner and then do the dishes and sit down at 7 o'clock. Why 7 o'clock? Because at 7 o'clock, Pat Sajak came on with Will of Fortune, and then it was Jeopardy with Alex Trebek. Every, every weekday night at 7 o'clock, she started her routine. And If you ever watch Jeopardy, sometimes uh, I was actually watching a clip this week of this really, really cocky guy. Uh, in fact... Uh, he kind of went at it with Alex Trebek a little bit a few times because he was so cocky. The problem was he was smart, and he would get all the questions right. And, and you know, you get to final jeopardy when, when you can wager whatever you want based on your knowledge of the question. If you know you have the question right, you can bet the farm. And in fact, sometimes they would like draw smiley faces and doodles on the pad because they're so confident. This is kind of like the expert in the law here. He knows the answer to this question and he knows that he has nailed the answer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, I'll just quote Jesus. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You nailed it. Now, this is where things get interesting. The next verse, verse 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. Something that has taken place in this conversation that has caused the man to go on the defensive, that has caused him to feel the need, well, I need to justify myself. Now, as we're reading this passage, I don't see it. It's like we have missed something because he just nailed the answer to the question, 
So why not leave it at that? No, he feels the need to defend himself and to justify himself. It's like we missed something, and that's because we have. I'm going to show you something uh, really cool here. Uh, if we go back to verse 25, remember the initial question that he had was, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Jesus ultimately answered this question, referring to the great commandment, Jesus responded this way. He said, do this and you will live. Now we're going to get a little bit into the, the original language here because that's where uh, this, this, I don't know if you want to call it a controversy, that's where he felt the need to justify himself. But when the expert in the law asked this question, he, he used a Greek word, uh, it's poisas. Uh, when Jesus responded, he used the same word. Uh, go ahead, Greg. He used the word poie. It's the exact same word, but Jesus used it in actually a different tense. And that tense changed everything. The word poisas uh, is in a tense that means a single action, a single action that has already taken place. So what he was essentially asking Jesus is, uh, Jesus, what is it? that I need to have done? What is the single thing that I need to have done to this point to inherit eternal life? But when Jesus responds, he changes the tense to a continual action. In other words, he's saying, you think that this is something that you need to have done once, and I'm telling you, this is not something you check off your list. This is a lifestyle. The man spoke in a tense that was a checklist mentality. But when Jesus responded, he said, this is a lifestyle mentality. This is not something you check off your list. This is a way of living. You love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And this is your way of life. This is Christian living. It's not a checkbox. This is the way you live. And when Jesus responded this way, the man suddenly felt the need that I need to justify myself. So feeling the need to justify himself, he looks at Jesus and he says, well, then define what a neighbor is. You know, maybe he just has kind of a twinge of hope here. Maybe if Jesus defines a neighbor the way that, that I want him to, maybe I'll still be justified. So he asked Jesus in verse 29, he said, and Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? Now, on the one hand, this is a legitimate question because it's a reference to uh, the book of Leviticus and when it talks about a neighbor, it's a very broad word. Uh, that word that for neighbor, it can mean friend, companion, fellow citizen, business associate, brother, husband, neighbor. And that's just a few of the meanings that this word had. So on one hand, this is a legitimate question. Jesus, when you say to love my neighbor, that could mean many things. Who is my neighbor? But on the other hand, uh, this question implies another question. If he's asking who is my neighbor, then he's also asking who is not my neighbor? Who can I exclude from this command that maybe I don't have to love? And it's in response to that question, that question of Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? That's where Jesus goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Beginning in verse 30 again, it says, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now leave that on the screen for just a minute. 
uh, Greg. Uh, it's important to see something in the context of this parable, right as Jesus is beginning it. The neighbor is the man who has been attacked because the context uh, is love your neighbor. So Jesus presents the guy that needs to be loved. He says, this, this is your neighbor. This is the guy who needs to be loved, a fulfillment of the book of Leviticus. So Jesus kind of answers him right away. But this guy wants to know the identity of this man specifically. I want to know, is he an Israelite? Is he a priest? Is he a Pharisee? Who is it that I have to love this way? And Jesus does something that's actually pretty genius. Don't want to skip over any, anything here. Because what Jesus does is he takes away any way, any manner of identifying who this person is. Uh, there were two of the primary ways of identifying a person in that culture was their dialect and their clothing. The clothes they wore could tell you where they were from and their dialect. In fact, uh, in Judges chapter 12, there's an example of them trying to determine if someone was from Ephraim. And they said, well, ask him if he can pronounce this word. And if he can't, kill him because <laughs> he's not one of us. By their dialect, they could tell who they were. Another way is by their clothing. What Jesus does in this story right away is he takes away his ability to speak. He was beaten half dead. So you can't tell who he is by his dialect. And he says they stripped him of his clothing. So you can't look at his clothing and tell who he was. Jesus takes away the identity of the neighbor that this guy is searching for. All we know is that he is someone who is in need. Now, when Jesus is telling the story, it's kind of hard to, to picture. Uh, you know, when, when we speak, we have immediate pictures in our mind. If I said red apple, you see red apple. This kind of would have happened with them when he's talking about a path or a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They would have known this is about a 17-mile trek, and uh, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level, and you're literally going straight down because Jericho is 800 feet below uh, sea level. There's a picture of it here, uh, Greg, if you want to throw that on the screen, of the road. And, and you can see it's very rocky. And they would have known that this area is full of hills and, and caves and rocks. So there were, I mean, it was perfect for robbers to hide in the caves. And you can see there's kind of a ledge on one side. So there's nowhere to go. If, a, if someone comes out to rob you or to beat you, there's nowhere to go. Now, in Luke uh, 10, 31, it says a priest came by and then he just kept going and then it says a Levite, Levite just came by and just kept going and if you look at that picture again what we find is that took some effort. If there's somebody on this road who is beaten and dying it takes effort to actually get around them. Now if you consider the priest for a minute he, he's kind of conflicted because in the Old Testament law if you look at Leviticus 21 or, or Numbers 19 uh, the priests were not to make themselves ceremonially unclean for hardly any reason. There were a few exceptions, but one of the ways that you would become unclean is if you touched a corpse or a dead person. So if you have this guy lying here and he looks dead, uh, your law tells you if I touch him and he's dead, I'm unclean for seven days I have to purify myself. If I touch him and I try to get him help and he dies along the way, then I'm sitting there touching a dead person and I'm going to be an outcast for seven days. My life's going to be affected. My family's going to be affected. Uh, but on the other hand, this was the written law. There was also an oral law. The oral law, uh, um, it's called pekuach nefesh. 
But the, the oral law said, if there was a life at stake, then you were to disregard almost anything in the written law to save that life. Now, the Pharisees held to that oral law. The Sadducees did not. So there was actually a basis for a theological argument of whether he should help this guy or not. What happens if I help this guy, right? What if someone sees me helping him? You know, I'm unclean. It affects my family. It would even affect their, their ability to provide for their family for seven days. And then there are other people that are a part of that uh, the religion that would say you shouldn't be helping someone like that. You shouldn't be helping someone like that who's on that side of the spectrum. And then comes the Samaritan. Uh, it's funny because in Jewish literature at that time, uh, when the Bible uh, said that there was a priest and a Levite, and then it would always follow that, but then there was an Israelite. And the Israelite was always the hero of the story. So they kind of think they know what's coming here when Jesus says a priest came by, and then a Levite came by, and they're just completing it in their minds. And then, okay, an Israelite's going to come save the day. And Jesus says, then a Samaritan came by. The worst of the worst in their minds. If, if you look at the Bible, uh, in, in John 8, 48, uh, the Jews called Jesus. They said, aren't you demon-possessed and a Samaritan? It was the worst thing they could see. Uh, and in fact, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus' own disciples came from a Samaritan town that rejected him. And, uh, and they said, can we just call down fire from heaven and destroy that Samaritan village? They, they could not stand the Samaritans. But the thing about the Samaritans is there was no theological argument of should I be helping this man or should I not be helping this man. The Bible just says that he took pity on him. He was moved with compassion. And in fact, that, that word compassion means it comes from your gut. It's like you, you see them and you have empathy that is moving you from deep within. And what we find is the priest and the Levite are here and they're looking at this man and they're saying, what will happen to me if I help this man? And then the Samaritan comes to this man and he says, what will happen to this man if I don't help him? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. actually preached uh, that message. He said, these guys came to, them, to the guy and they said, what will happen to me if I, I help him? And the other guy had the other mindset that said, what will happen to him if I don't? Sometimes it's easy to see the need around us through the lens of how we will be affected if we help. We can see the need, but before we see the need, we see the inconvenience it would cause us to help out in the need. Or we see how it might affect us sometimes. And we never even get to that part where, where we say, how will it affect them if I don't do something? Or you could look at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone of saying, how will it affect me if they reject me? How will it crush my pride if, if they, they change how they look at me? Or you could flip that perspective and say, what's going to happen to them if no one ever shares the gospel? If no one ever reaches them with the love of, G of Jesus Christ? So the Bible says that some, the Samaritan went to him. He's not bound by the law. He's driven by grace. And he touches the man. And he takes him to find healing. And then Jesus looks at the man and he says, 
looks at the expert in the law, this is uh, Luke 10, 36. He said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And look how the expert in the law replied. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Notice he can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He has to say it was the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Renee, you could go ahead and come. Uh, if we go back to where this parable started, Remember, it started with a single question. Who is my neighbor? But what Jesus does through this whole process is he refuses to identify the neighbor. And what he challenges the guy is, who is being a neighbor? It's not who is your neighbor, it's are you being a neighbor? It's not who, who are they, it's are you loving people? Are you loving your neighbor? Jesus has flipped this entire parable to his, so he's not even answering the original question. He's made it his own question and said, it's not about your neighbor. It's about are you loving them? And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Not to check it off your list, not to feel better about yourself, but because this is the way of life for someone who follows Jesus Christ. Can you guys stand with me this morning? your eyes if you would. Jesus had this incredible ability to love anyone without compromising his own values. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in not wanting to be seen as one of them, whoever that them is, not wanting to compromise or being seen as, as compromising our own values. When God is saying, it's not about who the person is, it's about recognizing the need and showing compassion and empathy and mercy. Father, when we do leave this place today, I pray that, that we will see through the lens of what will happen if we do nothing. will recognize that the, the need out there, God, is our calling. And when we walk out and, and it feels like we're surrounded by sin and surrounded by darkness and surrounded by need, God, what we're really surrounded by is opportunity. lives today that we've been overlooking or looking at from the wrong the wrong perspective Lord would you show that to us in this time Lord I pray that you give us the boldness Lord and the wisdom and discernment Lord 
in our workplaces and in the schools and in our community. For your blessings over each person as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you can stick around, uh, we're going to take probably 15 minutes or so to just get set up in there. Uh, and uh, even if you forgot food, we just we want you to, to hang out with us. You're allowed one piece of chicken. No, uh, as much as you want. So. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.